This podcast is brought to you by Bonus Room Productions and We Own This Town. I am Jason T. Mears Esquire. And I'm Kelly Hoyle Bullock. And we are San Dimas Today. How's it going, Kelly? JT, it's day 5746 in the year 2000, who knows. Um, <laughs> I'm hanging in there, buddy. Uh, I got to see my father on Father's Day, so that was nice. Um, so I feel lucky there. Uh, it was a good Father's Day. I hope yours was good. Yeah, it was great. It was great. The kids were fantastic. Wife was fantastic. I also got to see my father. So the one downside, and I know everybody cares because this is a Bill and Ted podcast, I smoked a brisket and it just wasn't ready in time. So we ended up grilling out and having burgers and brats instead of brisket. And we had brisket last night and it, it turned out very well. So that sounds delicious. Um, yeah. And so we're back together because we got some really awesome news from an old friend of the pod. And I know you've been very, very excited about this news. And so thought maybe you would share it with our listeners. Evan Dorkin is doing another Bill and Ted comic series. I am, so thrilled, so thrilled about this. They they just announced this a couple days ago. Evan Dorkin and Roger Langridge are doing a new limited Bill and Ted run. It's going to be canon to the movies. It takes place between Boba's Journey and Face the Music. It's a four-issue thing. It's going to start in September. It's going to follow Wild Stallions on a world tour as they try and bring the world together through music. And it sounds like it's just going to be more Evan Dorkin delightfulness. So in honor of this, uh, here in a minute, we're going to re, uh, rebroadcast the interview we did with Mr. Dorkin a while back. It, it's one of my favorite interviews that we've done. It was just so cool to get to talk to him about his career, his thoughts on Bill and Ted, how he got involved in the business, all sorts of stuff. And the fact that we, you know, we had that interview with him and now he's back on Bill and Ted. It, it's just so cool. And after the interview, I want to get into, uh, I actually, he was kind enough to email back and forth with me a little bit. I had some questions about the comics, so I think I can shed a little bit more light on what's coming. Anyway, super, super excited. And there was one other thing we needed to talk about Bill and Ted related, Kelly, uh, and that's the contest, right? Yeah, yeah. So they announced a, a art contest. I, you know, honestly, I don't, I didn't know all the details. I know that you can win $2,000. Um, it's open to anyone, right? Yeah, open to anyone. So uh, things that they're saying, uh, don't use logos or characters from the old movies. So okay. just just stick with like Bill and Ted, and they should be age-appropriate Bill and Ted for like Face the Music era. Uh, they've got links where you can download the new Wild Stallions logo, uh, where you can download the name Face the Music, but it's supposed to essentially be a Face the Music poster or, or an ad for Face the Music open up any type of art. I mean, you could knit something if you wanted to, and then take a picture and put the face, of the music thing on it, uh, avoid any of the older characters, the kind of the rules being find them all online. It, it looks like it's really neat and it's going to be judged by Keanu and Alex. So what's better than that? Yeah, that's pretty awesome. You know, I, I I've been impressed with, uh, you know, some of the promotional stuff that they've been doing, uh, given the quarantine and everything. I think it's pretty creative. I feel like Alex Winter has had a lot to do with all of this. I don't know, just a hunch. I, I can't prove it. <laughs> <laughs> and just going back to, to talking about Evan uh, in this interview, it, it was definitely one of our best interviews. It was for sure our longest interview, and he was just so freaking generous with his time. I felt like we could have talked for, for hours if we wanted to, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was actually embarrassed that we were taking up so much of his time, but, but I mean, like, I mean, you know, me, I was so excited to get that interview, and you really had to talk me down off the ledge before it even started. <laughs> what was also interesting is, I swear, not a week or two ago, Evan was was uh, responding to people asking about if there was going to be a comic version of Face the Music, and at that point, he was just like, I haven't talked to anyone, there's no plans for anything, and then it seemed like the turnaround for this announcement was really quick, and so, I, yeah, I'd love to ask him if... If maybe, you know, how long did you know it was going to happen uh, before they announced it? Maybe he was just messing with his fans or uh, maybe it just happened overnight. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I, I can answer this. Uh, well, I, can, I can't answer it with 100% certainty, but I can tell you they're already halfway through done making the comics. So they're almost finished with the second one. They've been working on this for a while. There, okay. there was a pitch that they made uh, that it, it's Evan Dorkin's idea. It had to be run by tons of people, but Ed Solomon's overseeing it. 
So I, I think when these things are announced, you're not allowed to say anything about it until it's officially announced. So I think he was kind of working under a gag order at that point. Got it. I guess without further ado, here once again is our interview with Evan Dorkin. Excellent! I'm a cog in the Bill and Ted universe, you know what I mean? I, I, uh, I just tried to do my best by the comic and by the readers and the characters and, you know, add some fun stuff to it. But, you know, it's not canon and I'm just really, uh, you know, for a while I was kind of I mean, I still haven't seen the first movie, but I'm super <laughs> fond of the, you know, of Bill and Ted in a way that I didn't know I was until I was asked to do more stories, and uh, we weren't able to come to do it uh, as uh, do a sequel to the comics. So I realized I really was fond of the comic stuff and the fans, and, and I mean, I always, you know, the fans were great. Kids would always write in, and they didn't know who made the comics. It was very real to them, you know. They wrote mm-hmm. two Bill and Ted, but it's just really funny that oh god, what is it? 30 years later almost and people are still reading the comics is really nice yeah it, it's great so let let me just start off by asking you how did you get approached to do the adaptation for bogus journey in 91 i guess that started up the industry was going through a lot of changes uh and i'll try not to i'll try to keep this short and uh not sweet because it's boring publishing stuff but marvel was definitely changing as a company so is dc they you know adaptations of movies were still something that the companies were doing regularly star wars and 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 dune and odd things like that and that was something that was getting phased out um uh, those as as the direct market got more you know oriented in a certain way and the independent market was starting to grow <clears throat> you know uh from the late 70s when we had you know people could do black and white oddball books um people who weren't necessarily the most talented like myself at the time um i was doing this book called pirate core which became a book called hectic planet and as fabian nicieza the editor on bill and ted said he knew that i did this book with jokes in it and a lot of bands nobody has ever heard of and uh he just figured i be a good pick for Bill and Ted because I was doing a kind of science fiction humor book with uh, a lot of gags and at the same time nobody really wanted this job <laughs> it's true I mean no, this, this is not a knock on Bill and Ted no of course when people go growing up the jobs I wanted in comics well, this changed a lot uh, but the jobs I wanted was I was my goal was in my I was hoping to just do some Spider-Man fill-ins, you know, they don't mm. even have fill-ins anymore. You know, uh, I just wanted to do Marvel comics and that meant Marvel superheroes. I never in a million years thought, yeah, I'm going to grow up to do Marvel adaptations of movies. Nobody ever thinks that generally the people who get movie adaptations were you, really young people like me who needed work and, you know, weren't. uh going to say no or older artists who were on their way out to be honest and they were trying to get give them work for their years of service or just try to get them something and get these books done but generally adaptations are seen as a uh, as a um, not a great gig well was there any was there any like sense that okay if i do this i'm paying my dues a little bit or was it just i'm gonna i'm gonna take this job and like pay the rent for a month yeah <laughs> Well, that was the first thing. I mean, the thing was, it was a job. I felt that my my abilities were limited at the time, but I wasn't as um, I can't say that I was super confident, but I wasn't super negative and super stressed about my work like I am for the last twenty five years, maybe. Because <laughs> I didn't. The connection wasn't that you do this and then people see it and they judge you. The connection was I'm doing these pages and they'll be printed and we'll hopefully make a good book. Once I realized people were reading these things, is when I kind of had a heart attack. But on Bill and Ted, it was I really needed uh, the work. I had I was not full time in the industry, and I guess the second half of getting this job was I had some independent black and white comic book work out there. And but the reason that I've met people in the industry wasn't because of my comics work, but because I worked in a comic shop. And um, in 1988, it might have been. I had no book. My book Pirate Corps was canceled. I had no work really in the industry. I was still working part. I was still working uh, practically full time at a comic shop. And um, in '87, I did my first San Diego uh, convention to promote Pirate Corps. The following year, 
uh, I was kind of grandfathered into a table, even though I had no work. They let me have a table in Artist Alley for free. Very nice. different convention. Yeah, conventions were very different. <laughs> and San Diego was much smaller. While at San Diego, I was there with the. I got the plane fare from Jim Hanley, my boss. He took a bunch of us from Jim Hanley's Universe, the comic shop on Staten Island, uh, and he took us for the. Um, um, what do they call them? The damn things. Basically, for the marketing, the marketing stuff, the 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 retail meetings and conferences before the convention. Mm -hmm. The rest of the convention was just you know a treat. I got to sit at the table. Uh, so uh, he paid for hotel and everything. So while there, we had a, we had a meeting with Marvel marketing people. Fabian was in marketing and sales at the time. I'm not sure of his exact uh, title. And basically, I got Bill and Ted because I was entertaining enough at this dinner, uh, drunk off my ass. <laughs> uh, enough of my jokes landed. And between that and the fact that I was making some comic books about that had, you know, it was all punk bands and stuff like that. But Fabian became editor of the, I, I don't know if it was the Starline, which was basically Harvey Comics type material. Right, right. Um, but he got all these ampersand books, what we called them. He got Bill and Ted, he got Kid and Play, he got Red and Stimpy. Red and Stimpy was the only successful book out of the bunch. Uh, that was Dan Slott, I believe, early on. Dan was always running up and down the uh, the Marvel uh, corridors looking for work. And he eventually got it. <laughs> but, yeah, we were doing all these like kind of considered by everyone else bum books. They were kids' books, which was like a no- you know, doing comics for kids was like some sort of thing you had to apologize. I didn't. I love kids' comics. I still do. But it was it was the dregs, you know what I mean? We were definitely at the children's table. Mm -hmm. uh, nobody was going to be writing about these comics in the buyer's guide or uh, uh, the journal or any of the conventions. Nobody was going to be booking you because of your, your comic book work on Kid and Play and Heathcliff. But it was a job. Well, but I, yeah, that's my long answer. It was a lot a confluence of things and getting drunk. Well, I, I will respond to that with two two uh, personal statements. One, I still owe my own my entire run of the initial run that you did, including the uh, um, the original adaptation and then all of the ones that came out. I've still got those mint inbox. That. And then two, I will say, uh, just rereading. Uh, Kelly and I both reread the run in preparation for this. And I was struck by how much, this might be way off base for you, but how much uh, comics like Scott Pilgrim were influenced by what, seemed to be influenced by what you were doing back then, especially in the Bill and Ted stuff. The, the way you snuck things into the corners, little signifiers for culture, I've not seen done that well. Like, those two places are where I've seen them done that well. So That's, I have, I, You'd have to ask Brian, obviously. I think I know Brian was is aware of my work, but I, it's probably the milk and cheese stuff that he was reading. But uh, So I have two things to say. First, how old were you guys when this came out? <laughs> we, we, we were uh, early early teens, like almost. Yeah. yeah, so we're, we're both, awesome. we're both 40 now. So yep. you were, yeah. you know, you were marketing directly into our brains. Like you were. Well, this, <laughs> Fabian Fabian knew that Fabian let me, uh, uh, my first uh, assistant editor was Evan Skolnick, but F Fabian really, you know, he, he, he called the shots and he let me get away with, I mean, we weren't doing anything horrible or crazy. You know, we weren't trying to stick subliminal dirty things or, or, or drug jokes into anything. But he let me really have my head. And we hardly got into any ins in instances with Marvel or the Bill and Ted's people. Uh, I think it was Nelson Entertainment owned it at the time. Mm -hmm. But he really just let me run with it. And I have a feeling he let everybody basically have their head on the books. Because the thing is, the, the bad thing is the books didn't matter, Marvel. Everybody knew they were getting canceled with 12 issues, if not a shorter run. They, they knew that these books were not going to have legs. Except I think Ren, Ren and Stimpy kept going. And that had a very strong license, and, and Dan was really, you know what I mean? He was putting his head in, he was putting his himself into that book. I was putting myself into Bill and Ted. Um, it makes a difference. Uh, I'm not saying that anybody did a crap job, but, you know, Kid and Play was a short, live thing. Heathcliff, I don't know why the hell they thought Heathcliff would be. <laughs> this is not Dell Comics or Gold Key of the, of the 50s to the 70s. But... Um, the the good thing about the books being you know dead on arrival was that they just it didn't matter what we did so he let me run fast and loose with everything and introduce a lot of things and and have a good time and he he they gave me all the mail 
from a lot of the kids. So I got to I answered some of the fan mail uh, personally on the side, and and we got drawings. I still have drawings from this day. The kids did, and I mean, it was an eye opener to see what it was like to get fan mail, even though almost none of the fan mail was for me. (laughs) So it was so hearing. I mean, we knew we had readers, and we probably had numbers that weren't bad for today at all. That would be great for today, as far as the direct market went. But we knew we weren't a hit or anything like that. But we also, I also knew that it was the only book of mine that was probably ever going to be on a Seven Eleven or a Wawa spinner rack. <laughs> I and it was, it was a great experience. And the, the whole thing was, I knew I was doing this comic mostly for kids, and they were the one, and they were responding to it. And we had so much fun working on the book. It was a real, you know. Except for the fact that I pushed a lot of the deadlines so that I didn't end up doing number eight because I did a three-part story. I don't know how I did a monthly book at all because I've never done one since. <laughs> yeah, but I, that, you, during your 20s, you, you, you stay up all night and you can do that. Right. I, I didn't realize that until I was reading the anthologies that my wife got me because I didn't want to open up my uh, sealed copies. She, she got me the uh, anthologies that were reprinted a few years ago. And the I was – Yeah. Was yeah and yeah. – uh, I, I noticed that it was the collection. It, the second one was missing issue eight, and I was like, "Oh, that's weird. What happened there?" And then I, I did a little research. I'm like, "Oh, okay." Uh, you know, they- yeah, I went to cover for that one. <laughs> uh, I think I think Tom Brevert did the uh, did that issue. Nice. I, I I might actually have to pull that one out at some point. But so uh, after Bill and Ted, uh, well, let, let let's talk a little bit more about your take on Bill and Ted sure, because sure. Uh, they. What was neat to see with your run is they develop a little bit more of a personality. They mm-hmm. they have a little bit more openness with their cultural references, like they're big fans of the Planet of the Apes movies. Uh, you know, stuff that never probably would have flown in the movies. And I, I thought uh, that was pretty cool. Well, it would never have flown in the movies because they would have probably had to pay for licensing. Absolutely. <laughs> and back then, people were much less uptight. I did not get things pulled i was putting band names i was putting the names of small bands and 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 national acts and you know people on cbs records people that were on sst records and it wasn't just trying to i just had no you know i've never liked it when people referenced mcdonald's and made it you know rick monald's or mcdonald's it just drives me up a goddamn wall i mean it's the real life it's the real world i'm clearly not I just I've always tried to avoid that. Even as a kid, I couldn't stand it unless it was like a, a mad parody or something. I couldn't stand it when people would make clear references to Star Trek, and it would be it would be like you know it would be bizarre world Star Trek. Just put Star Trek in there for freak's sake. Now I realize legally this can be an issue for a lot of things. When we did the Eltingville pilot for the Adult Swim, we had to clear everything. Uh, we had to get the you know actually get signed contracts from people saying agreements saying that you can use likenesses of characters you and do the bd 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 buck when a dance thing yeah. right didn't have to do anything for saying something out loud <laughs> okay all right all right sorry but everything's visual in a comic book but the thing was the industry was looser back then um there was there were probably less lawyers even though it felt didn't feel like it there were less lawyers on the earth back then and nobody gave a crap we never had anything um we had no problems um no complaints except I think Grant Morrison, which is know, shocking, Scottish, shocking. In a Scottish fanzine said something uh, pointed about uh, me that I won't say just in case they're kids. <laughs> and um, uh, when we did a funny, uh, we did a, a panel of him uh, based on uh, a PR campaign that DC Vertigo had of him, which was ludicrous and and pretentious. So we just made a joke about that. But yeah, we made. I mean, we made fun of everything and. We I'd, I I included real names because it grounded it in the way that the ser- the the, the, the uh, movies were because I had the script for the Bogus Journey and I I had seen Bogus Journey after the adaptation and you can see that after the adaptation when we start the regular series I just start playing around and adding characters and putting lots of references to things I liked mm-hmm. I was never a big not really a metal fan I mean. I mean, there's bands like Black Sabbath that I like and whatnot, and I can listen to anything practically. I can listen to some black metal. I can listen to some death metal. But it was just, you know, the hair bands that Bill and Ted were kind of, you know, into, um, you know, they had the guy from Faith No More in one of the movies and stuff. So I'd throw that stuff in, and then I just started, I had other characters in there, so I would just start throwing bands like Fishbone and, and and you know, characters that I liked. And in the, in the wedding issue, I put 
fishbone and the chili peppers and it makes no sense but i put the residents playing as their wedding band <laughs> yeah just great they had these weird references and they had these appearances by people you know i mean i haven't seen the first movie but i know fee waybill from the tubes is in it mm -hmm. and uh, uh jane uh, i care from jane, jane Weedland. Weedland. Yeah. it plays um joan of uh, arc joan yeah. of arc because i went back to get that all that reference to bring those characters in i wanted to make the book a universe the movies can't also the movies can't go as far as the comic because they don't have the time or, mm -hmm. the, or the need you can't if you throw background jokes into a movie nobody's going to necessarily see it you have to make it a sight gag like python or a mel brooks thing or airplane mm -hmm. in a comic book you can leave it in there and people can catch it on the on a second reading that that's all from will elder and harvey kurtzman from mad growing up on that. that's what I, I when i was your age reading bill and ted i was reading mad comics that were reprinted in mad magazine right summer specials and i was really taken with wally wood and uh bill elder who would just throw all this stuff into the background yeah. and i also grew up into jack kirby and george perez superhero comics and if a crowd of people came into a room and they said look there's a crowd of soldiers you know hydra agents was aim they drew everybody yes so that I have always been a maximalist. If, if Bill and Ted are having a wedding, I'm going to do a two-page spread of Mosh Pit. That's the entire with all these <laughs> knights and Huns and oh yeah, space creatures and and death and everything. I was going to mention those old Mad uh, comics because your panels are just they are so full. Like I, I imagine you taking the time with one panel that some artists would take with an entire page. It, it's just crazy. The amount of detail and information well, you have in yeah. there. I grew up on comics that were more packed and I grew up on particular, really liking those artists that I was talking about and other, other uh, artists who would really throw a lot of stuff in there. And, um, also part of it was always, I put a lot of it's comic, I put a lot of work into the pages because of, it was like, uh, overcompensating. I always felt that my artwork, especially at the time, was not very good. I was I never learned how to draw properly and a lot of the stuff that I did is really kind of amateurish in Bill and Ted. But if the energy, I, you know, I've, I've come to peace with it and people have told me what they do like about it and I've been able to stop apologizing about it at conventions. <laughs> but the energy is there and it didn't look like everything else, even though I was making a lot of fundamental drawing mistakes and really, I did not know how to draw clothing, how, very well you know folds and noses and likenesses luckily i wasn't asked to do likenesses of the two characters after they decided after all not to do likenesses right so we have this approximation of them and it was really tough a lot of stuff i had to you know it was harder to find reference back then i had no mentor or anyone that i knew in the industry who would be able to point out you know try this try that go here get this book but it's a fun jerky series and what I always my my thing was that if I wasn't a good cook, and I you know maybe dropped dropped the food on the floor once or twice, and I could at least cover it with as much sauce or gravy as possible, <laughs> to make up for it. And I've been I've been I've been trying to make up for it with as much sauce my whole career now. But in Bill and Ted's, I didn't quite have the composition and the line down, but it it, it works. It's it's a fun comic, even if it's not a. Uh, it's not Bill Elder, let's put it that way, or Wallet yeah. Woods. Like, but I think you, I think you captured the spirit really well, and all those references we were talking about it make it so rereadable. It's, well, it's a real pop culture conscious mm -hmm. property, and the characters are, the characters are just obviously so happy about everything. Right. They love their music. They love their friends. They love going to the movies. They love Star Trek. Mm -hmm. I was able to get that from the script. Because there's all these references, you know, and then when I saw the movie, they 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 the Star Trek Canyon, you know, the, like the Gorn episode. You yes. remember? They, oh yeah, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. So yeah. we recognize that that was something that I don't think was in the script. Also, there was a lot of parts of the comic that weren't in the movie, and and but you 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 know, it's clearly a pop culture. Uh, the it, death being the Bergman death mm -hmm. from you know was that seven uh, the seven oh, seal. Yeah, Seventh Seal. God, I'm going Seventh Samurai, Seventh Sign, <laughs> Seventh Victim, which is a great movie. I'm like, duh. But he, I, we didn't know he was supposed to be uh, the Bergman death. We right. thought he was a skeleton. Weirdly enough, the toy that came out was also a skeleton. So it was kind of like I got my own action figure by accident. Hey, well done. I had no <laughs> yeah. idea that the action figure was uh, the, the, yeah. the actual skeletal. But 
Yeah, there's, there was a lot less toys back then, too. I don't have them, but I kind of would like the death just as a joke. I, you know, if something gets made of something that you wrote, and it's it, it's it's like there's yeah. these production figures that are based on characters that me and uh, Derek Thompson did for uh, Bed, uh, Bad Blood. And it's just so weird because, like, we, we designed those. He designed this based on my scripts. And they're out there, and I can't even afford to have one of them. You know? <laughs> but it's really cool to see something get turned into a, into a toy. So it was very funny that when those toys came out, it was a skeleton. I was like, what happened there? Because I know what happened with us. We were not given any uh, reference material at the time, and I just they needed a cover. Yeah. So I just filled in Ted with death. And I just drew him as a skeleton because I thought that's what death is, right? Yeah. So, okay, let me ask you this. How, if you didn't have many references, you totally nailed Station. How did that work? Oh, we started to get the, they need to cover ahead of time for solicitation and things like that. And they also needed um, promotional artwork because back then they were less. They'd make these books that would have upcoming comics in them and whatnot. So for that and for Fight Man, I which came which came out of Bill and Ted as a yeah. Image I saw Marvel, I saw you Marvel did that. That's awesome. Yeah, Marvel owned it, so uh, it was, so we had to change him to Fight Dude in the <laughs> collections, which is actually kind of better right Bill and Ted. yeah it's great but um we had to do some promotional art off the bat and um uh so the first piece that i did was actually i don't think we printed it in the boom thing because i don't think we have any we don't have it but it was a more on more likeness uh, a more on target likeness drawing of keanu reeves and alex winter with a skeletal death and i think i drew some characters from the bill and ted's poster or something napoleon because we had no idea what was going to be in Bogus Journey. Mm-hmm. I took the job because it was it was another step to get out of working retail. Because, uh, you know, so I'm like, sure, I'll take this. So we didn't know what we were doing exactly because they just needed to, they needed a poster, if you know what I'm saying, for yeah. retailers. And then they needed a cover. And by that time, by the time that we got the script, but by the time we got more material, we had the script. I had done something like, 15 pages and death appears in those and there was no way to go back marvel couldn't afford to scrap those pages and the schedule was a nightmare on this because you're trying to coincide with the release right of the movie so you have a def- that's another reason people probably don't want to do movie tie-ins <laughs> it's probably another reason why most of them look like hell because you're given so little reference and so little time but i was i was young i was very hungry i was very eager and i had insomnia so I just put as much – I wanted every line of dialogue from that script and every scene in there. And I think they are in there, uh, including the stuff that got cut from the movie ultimately, which is why the ending of the adaptation, we got letters. Like, why does the adaptation have this bizarre ending, this action sequence? I'm like, we didn't make it up. It got cut. I remember going to the movie with Fabian. We got tickets for the premiere in New York or with you know, a, a, pre-screen, a pre-release – and we both look at each other because the movie just cuts at one point. And the whole chase at the end with the van and the mm-hmm. dream creatures and, and Bill's grandmother and everything, it was like a major part of the script. And I, I hated drawing it. It was gone. <laughs> you know, it's funny. We, we've talked about that actually at length on the show, but something there's else. Still, there's uh, still a, there's footage. Have you seen? Is there footage, actually? I have not I'm seen not, the footage. Yeah, we, I, we've tried tracking it down. We've not seen it. I don't it, think though. it's been released. But yeah, we had stills of the rabbits, you know, the rabbit suit, the grandmother, and the general character. Mm-hmm. The, uh, I forget it. Colonel Oates. Oates. Colonel Oates. Oh, yeah. God, how the hell did I remember that? <laughs> but what, what's Colonel, so Colonel. what's so crazy is I before um, like I read your comic adaptation, I had bought the soundtrack for Bogus Journey because he, clearly both Kelly and I are huge Bill and Ted nerds. But I, I got this soundtrack on on day and date of release. And at right. the end of it is this this Steve Vai guitar solo called the Reaper Rap, and it's basically one of those '90s things where they put dialogue from the movie over a song. And toward the end of it is this dialogue from that from that chase scene, and it's right. like you know, <laughs> Bill's like, you know, uh, kiss your fears, dude. You know, offer him a honey bun or something. And after seeing the movie and hearing that, it's like, what is this from? Yeah. And then reading That's the so, comic. I don't know why they cut the ending either. I, I've never heard. I mean, I'm sure it's probably on some, you know, you guys will probably know better. But I don't know why they actually cut out what was like a, a, at least a good five minute or longer chunk of the film. And the film wasn't super long. I don't know if the effects didn't come off. Uh, my suspicion is um, they were, you know, like they had changed it from Bill and Ted Go to Hell to Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. But the ending where... 
uh, evil robots just beat the crap yeah. out of Bill and Ted with the mic stands, you know, crushing their skulls. That yeah. that might have been a little dark for what the studio wanted to go for, like target audience. <laughs> was there was there a test audience maybe where yeah. that didn't work but out? But the sequence with uh, where they get rid of their fears. Yes, fears. Yeah. yeah. I don't. There was nothing in there that I remember being. Uh, no, that 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 is weird that it's gone because clearly when you watch the film, I haven't seen it since it came out. But I remember because of working on the script, I, I remember what it really does leave a hole in the in the film because you. You feel like there's, you know, when villains, when a gun shows up, somebody's going to pull that trigger. And when three, when these villains show up and they talk about the fears and everything and it doesn't get closed, it feels maybe I'm making more of it because I know what was supposed to happen. But it really feels like something is not there. Oh, you know, it's weird. It is. And I I completely agree. Completely. But it's a goofy film. So to be honest, it's not like people are going to miss it. So. I mean, it's a film where things happen. You know what I mean? It's not, it's <laughs> it is indeed. Right. It's not a murder mystery, and you know, it's not the you know who killed the uh, chauffeur type of thing. <laughs> uh, well, uh, can we transition a little bit here? I want to. I'd love to know how you got involved with Space Ghost Coast to Coast and the Adult Swim crew and how that all right. transpired. That that seemed to be pretty early on for ninety uh, seven. I don't okay. know. I remember Colonel Oates more than I remember the <laughs> uh, Space Ghost is really simple. It was just, again, it was. it's funny. It's um, independent comics, small press comics, uh, non-Marvel, DC, no Patriot, has gotten me most of my work uh, that does pay. But it's, it never really pays on its own. So, like, I got Bill and Ted's because I was doing these books that had characters who were into music and were all slackers and kind of goofballs except they were super negative the thing about bill and ted real quick that i that is uh, interesting to me because i had to think about it while writing the introduction to the boom uh edition was that bill and ted are the only like um positive characters i've ever worked with in my life <laughs> um they're the only they have families they're adjusted even if they're dinguses <laughs> but they're loving they're caring they're friends uh, I was going to play off that if, if I was able to write a sequel for Boom to the comics, which we had hoped could happen. Uh, I had figured out what happens to them, and, wh- and I explain in some ways why they are so so loving and positive in, in the world where uh, they live with evil and whatnot. But my characters tend to be depressed and, and, and crazy and, and have no families and form bonds with other people out of necessity. Bill and Ted just like hugs everyone. They even hug their villains. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean they give cake to the people in hell it's who have tried great. to kill. Because they can't help but think nice things about people. It's they're very weird little characters. Yeah, very, the, they'll win. Yeah, they win over their worst enemies. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And then I, I, I in the uh, well, you might want if you want to talk about it later. I could tell you what their ultimate fate would have been. In the no, let's that, do that now. Yeah. I need to know oh. this now. So if you've read the run, yes, you real, I brought in, I was, I was like Bill and the problem with Bill and Ted is, as you said, they are kind of, uh, ciphers. They really don't, they don't have emotional highs and lows. Uh, they, they're, well, they can be sad and they can be happy, but they're never quite introspective or depressed or, you know what I mean? They, even if they're upset cause they think the girls hate them, because uh, the robots did something, they get excited like with a plan to be to make everything okay two seconds later. Right. I mean, they're cartoon <laughs> characters in the world. Every, mm-hmm. It's a very cartoonish world. So I had to come up with a lot of characters. I mean, I want like 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 some people of color, yeah, you know, so they could have Phil. a bass player. Yeah. Their band made their band made no sense to me. So uh, I got him a bass player. I tried to get him a neighborhood of friends, and I tried to keep. If you notice, I used every single character from both movies. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I gave them real roles. I would bring them back constantly because I figured I'm a fan of things. I know I like to see Scotty and Sulu and Uhura do stuff just like everybody else. So let's bring <laughs> them back as much as possible. But I was running out of ideas really fast. So uh, I had Thanatos, the death character. I had his co-workers show up. And that was war, fate. Nature. Mother Nature and Kronos Time, which were the who have all went senile, yeah, and that became a big, big thing uh, in the storyline. And I brought them back later on. Mother Nature ends up dating one of their dads, so he's like <laughs> Mother Nature in law, stupid stuff. So what happened in this? So twenty years later, I thought I well, twenty five years later, Boom asked me would I write a new series, and I was like, you know, I really would. First of all, I could use the work. 
because it's freelancing and it's always up and down. And second of all, I really realized I made my peace with the characters and that I really were fond of this book. And I had an idea. The basic thing is, do you have an idea? So the idea was there was going to be another, uh, what do you, not an avatar, but, you know, another, uh, like in, uh, like the way death works in, um, Hogfather and the uh, Discworld books, these avatars of, of, of life forces, I guess. Right. I was going to add chaos. So chaos was awakening after a thousand years or some shit like that. And, oops, excuse me. And death and all those guys were terrified because they had heard bad things about chaos. Worse than Kronos going senile, you know what I mean? Right. Kronos uh, is calm because Time Thumb and some of those people are running, you know, time right now. And Kronos is basically, they're all like playing bingo or something. Kronos, uh, chaos shows up and basically the whole world goes crazy. The whole world starts, everybody starts getting crazier ideas. And it was going to play off certain things that were happening in the world. And uh, all these fans of boy bands and K-pop bands and (laughs) J-pop bands were going to start trying to kill Bill and Ted. Oh, wow. Destroying, trying to destroy. That's awesome. It's a little different than what Denomalos was doing. They didn't hit, but they felt that like their brand of music needed to be stomped out, so that their uh, so bands, so thousands of young girls and some boys would be chasing Bill and Ted everywhere they went. The whole world was out to kill them. Um, The robots decided that they wanted to have families and start building more robots. All sorts of bad things start happening all over the world and because chaos is coming. In the end, all the characters end up coming back. I mean, I have the whole – and it's this big universal thing, kind of bigger than the three-issue series, where Bill and Ted basically have to face down chaos. And what happens is they discover in one of those dumb light shows that they always have in Magical Princess things. Or I mean, I like that stuff. But I hate how every movie now has a light beam happen at the end that solves everything. <laughs> the big blue out, uh, uh, hole in the sky. Out that, it turns out that Bill and Ted are also cosmic uh, avatars of love. Oh, yes. they love everyone, dude, and they their power as love is why they've never gotten hurt badly, why they haven't been really killed, why they're able to calm people down around them and make everybody basically end up starting the party. So they end up sc- destroying. I mean, it's it's more complicated this, but they end up becoming love. And it's beautiful. It's perfect. Right. And they're spreading their love across the galaxy with their music. And the thing is for them, though, it's not really a job. They don't get anything. They have no benefits. Like when, when all is said and done and they're like, all right, cool. So we're going to be like running love. We're going to be. In, and, but they don't have anything. They have to just go back to their house. <laughs> so they have all the responsibilities of maintaining love throughout timelines and future. But they have absolutely no health benefits or help so it would just end it on that that these you know bill and ted are actually uh cosmic entities dudes that, that is perfect I, i'm all in i really liked it i wish i could have done it but. oh man that's a <laughs> so that's whole story i don't think i've told it out, out yet but that's it yeah thank you so much for sharing that that yeah, is awesome so space ghost uh it's just um somebody sent mike lazo uh, a copy of milk and cheese the comic that i was doing mm-hmm. Uh, for SLG, which is just super dopey, crazy, drunk, alcoholic. It's great. Culture referencing milk product, uh, dairy product that hit people. It's 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 better than it sounds, but it's just as stupid as it sounds. Man. In, in like most of the, like, was it the first six or seven issues were issue number one? Is that right? Yeah, issue seven was the first second issue. Okay. Yeah. I was making... I always try to put an extra joke into anything, and I worked in stores, and I was very into, you know, comic, you know, I dealt with the industry, so I was making fun of the practice of multiple number ones, so I had first number one, second, third, fourth, fifth, six, 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 and first, second issue. It was just, it confused a lot of people, especially when we went into reprints, but, so then we would have special, unembossed, non-bagged. (laughs) <laughs> reprinted and we'd make fun of the reprint stuff and the gimmicks but yeah somebody sent that to Mike Lazo when they were working on season one of Space Ghost and he the show had not gelled completely because shows are always a little wobbly mm-hmm. the first season you know you look at the first season of The Simpsons if you can and uh, it gets better you know what I mean mm-hmm. right. and then gets 
then gets worse. But uh, they were looking. He was looking for somebody to do dialogue. He was looking for voices for Zorak and Moltar. Just to, you know, he had them, but he was looking for. He liked the banter and milk and cheese, and he thought that that would be good for Moltar and Zorak. And my wife and I worked on a script, and they hired us for That's for a while. Right. So it's awesome. not much. Uh, that was really it. Yeah. And then, we, oh, go ahead. I don't know if we had done Superman Adventures at that time, but we almost worked on Freakazoid. That was almost our first series. But everybody pulled out as Freakazoid because uh, Spielberg's company was getting pressuring them to make everything into a toy and changing it. Uh. It started off as a, as a Batman animated series, but funny. It would be half-hour adventures, but kind of Plastic Man-like, it sounds right. like. But with a character that was spouting off a lot of references to pop culture and whatnot and it went from and we were hired and i was actually starting a script for that uh and then it became kind of like tiny tunes for superheroes uh <laughs> and a lot of the people who were producing it and designing it and whatnot left as production people some of them freelanced you know paul dini freelanced and, and wrote stories but they were all kind of like ticked off of the direction so they left staff uh so that went my job uh, but when Superman got started up, we got called to do that, and so I was doing those around. We were doing those around at the same time, but I don't think we did Superman before Space Ghost. That might have been the first writing, right, cartoon writing we did. But yeah, it was pretty weird and simple to get that call. And the funny thing is, we had just seen Space Ghost, and I said, "Man, wouldn't it be cool to write for that?" And uh, um, <laughs> that was that was that was all right. That's awesome. Uh, how did you? get involved with shin chan that was also uh because of the adult swim we had we had i think that's the last thing we did that was for the adult swim and we were already not doing anything for them um i had worked on another pilot sarah and i had worked on another pilot post eltingville with some of the characters from eltingville that they owned the kid characters and make a long story short it was a time where i was feeling very unconfident about my work and i basically um 86 the pilot because of my inability to make decisions it's a really bad, bad situation. But I guess they didn't uh, completely, you know, hate me. Uh, you know, they never hated Sarah, of course. Uh, <laughs> but it uh, was uh, because when they were going to do Shinshan, they said that they wanted some people who had worked with them before to work on punching up the scripts, and they suggested us. Um, I really did not like working on that show. Uh, it was not fun, and I, did, I was, you know, it ended... You know, I dragged my heels in the last two scripts. They didn't really want to give the characters any kind of separate voices. We put a lot of work into the punch-up scripts, and they just really wanted everybody to just yell dick jokes at each other with the same voice in each character. I mean, some of it was funny. You know, I liked Action Bastard. That was fun to do. But um, we were fans of the uh, original anime, mm-hmm. the character, and the manga. Uh, so it was weird to see it turned into, you know, it was kind of like too much of a kid's show for Adult Swim, but too adult for a kid's show. Right. Like watching Muppet Babies with dick jokes, almost. <laughs> well, the dick jokes weren't really in the original. They just, they just you know, they kind of uh, did a uh, What's Up Tiger Lily to a lot of it. They yeah, really kind yeah. of just made up new stuff. And I actually think Shinshan's a cool show, you know, it, you know, but it's, it's, it, it's, it's not a, a hip show, maybe. But because he was always dropping in trousers and uh, making the elephant uh, thing with his uh, scrotum and, and his dick, I guess that's the direction they took it in. It, <laughs> it, it was destined to burn out like it did, though, because if you've got no substance in the show, all the dick, you know what I mean? Even if right. the dick yeah. jokes are good, even if the, you know, um, it was just a lot of that show depended on also on, on uh, uh, Shinchan's voice is really uh, famous in Japan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like losing that really. It's an indefinable kind of thing. Like, would Pikachu have been as successful with a different voice? Yeah. Probably. But you know what I mean? You can't picture it. Right. You can't picture right. Bart Simpson's voice differently or Homer's mm-hmm. um, or whatnot. But yeah, Shinshan, I just, I, I personally think it was ill-conceived. Let's just make dick jokes over this stupid Japanese show, which is actually a beloved show. Uh, you know, okay. I, but it was pretty amazing because we're reading it, and I'm like, I take everything very, very seriously. You know, even the stupidest concept. If you give me the work, I'm going to look at it, and I'm going to try to earn my keep and make it 
good as I see it. You know what I mean? Without first of all, script doctoring I find very difficult uh, because you're you're basically trampling over other people's work. I find that very difficult to do, even if I don't like what I'm looking at. You know, hey, I know better. I just do not. This is why I guess I don't have a great animation career, or whatever, but I don't. I don't. I don't want to have uh, conflict. You know, I've never liked writing rooms. Yeah. The few times I've been in a writing room, I just feel that tension of everybody's trying to be funnier than each other. And I have very nervous habits when I'm in a room and I don't know people. I start talking a lot and not necessarily in like funny or, you know, I'll just start mumbling. I'm like the bad guy in the D&D game who shut up. <laughs> you know? And and I'm just I realize I have my limitations in that way. I'm very good at doing, I'm better at doing the work by myself or working with Sarah. Or another person, but a whole room, it's competition to me. So telling basically the idea of going, oh, I think this joke is terrible. I'm going to rewrite it. It just makes me anxious. At the same time, I thought everything was terrible. The, the characters all had the same uh, voice and approach. I mean, if you take characters in a comic book and you cover up the faces and you can read the dialogue and it's you can't tell if it's Iron Man or Batman or Harley Quinn, I think the writer's done a bad job of characterization and you can do that in a lot of comics uh you'll cover it up and everybody's making the same pop culture jokes or the same game of thrones joke or and you can't tell who anybody is unless they're definitely the thing you know what i mean or right because they're chomping with the you know uh their words off but um it's the same thing in 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 live action or animation characters should you know marge does not speak like uh Bart, who does not speak like Milhouse, you know what I mean? They do a really, really good job of you know what that person's attitude is. Um, and it's not just the, the, the sound, it's the way that they talk and their attitude. And this show was just flat. Uh, he, Everybody spoke the same, had the same characterization, and I was like, what is? what are they expecting to have happen here? Hmm. You know, it's the, it's the kind of thing that's cool. Like, I mean, with Space Ghost, it's 15 minutes, it's 11 minutes. You know what I mean? Right. So if you're just shooting shit all over the walls... <laughs> it's going to be over yeah. soon. <laughs> That's fine. If you're going to actually let make me sit in front of 22 minutes of characters week in, week out, if you want this to last more than two seasons, you better give me a reason to care or come back. Because after a while, you know, shit jokes are just, you know, my friends, everybody's friends making better, better ones. <laughs> you, know, you know, you laugh more at the diner with your friends after a movie than you do at any show. Yeah. So yeah. you got to give people a reason to come back. And a lot of that is story and character. You know, I mean... I'm not a huge fan of something like uh, uh, Aqua Teen Hunger Force. It didn't work for me, but I can. I but you know what I'm saying. Those characters were all different. They had different approaches, mm -hmm. different fans, and they interact in a certain way. If you have six meat wads, you know what I mean. That's that not going to be a great idea? show. You're going to get <laughs> it's my worst yeah. nightmare. <laughs> right. If you think about a lot of successful shows, it's because they can go in a lot of different directions. Mm -hmm. And Shin Chan could only go in one direction. That was the toilet. Both literally, and, you know, yeah. things happen though. A few of my, I, I don't know, we didn't watch all of them, but I know some of our jokes got in. But again, I just found that I found the, uh, the the producers unresponsive, and I, I I guess they could also tell that I just did not care. I was giving up by like the fifth one. I couldn't. It was like pulling teeth. Anyway, that's more than you probably wanted to hear. No, no, this is all incredibly interesting. I I, I saw Shin Chan on your uh, Wikipedia page, and I was like, holy shit you know evan dork can work on that um yes so. it's it's a it's a it's a that was a weird one too because we were really excited because we like the the uh japanese shinshan so but it just was like just a lot of guys giggling in a room somewhere in texas and then we got sent that and we we're like yeah okay you know they're probably all very successful right now well uh, then uh, one more just random oh, whatever, uh, you want, whatever you want to talk about no. i don't have to pick up my family until 10 <laughs> uh yo yo gabba gabba how did you get involved with yo gabba gabba that was the aquabats that was that was uh we have we uh uh my friend paul got me into the aquabats and i was like where's this band been my entire life nice um <laughs> because i was always a, i was always a fan of a lot of the things that the aquabats are all about in their music and in their the pop culture they they like and uh, you know the, the the japanese the kaiju and the tokusatsu and the sentai shows and mm -hmm. old you know batman tv show and things like that i mean it's just really ridiculous and i was like a band that's a bunch of kind of semi-inept superheroes who are really <laughs> kind of bill and ted in their outlook you know yeah, yeah. 
very friendly, very cool, very positive, uh, very welcoming. Um, but you know, they're they're at these punk shows with these wild bands. You know, they'll, they'll they're out there with these crazy bands who are like you know bleeding on the stage and they're fighting guys in Steve. In, in monster costumes, and, you know, not cur- you know, no foul language and all that stuff. It's pretty, and and the music was great. It was you know, ska and punk and new wave and surf and rockabilly and everything. I like the kitchen sink approach. It's just like my work. We um we saw them. Oh God, the professor was still in the band. Uh, so and it, it, we saw them at a show in in the city and. Um, uh, I was re- I really loved it, and they they we were they pointed out to us they looked they they they, they uh, pointed out the back commander pointed at us going hey there's old people at this show. <laughs> <laughs> which was great I'm not that much older than some of the acrobats but wow and after the show uh, I got up the nerve to introduce myself to them and it turned out that they some of them you know Christian the back commander and the professor and a, they they knew uh, they knew of us they knew our comics and stuff. And you know we stayed in, it you know sent letters back and forth once in a while. After that, I got a picture of me looking really nervous and geeky around them because <laughs> I get like that around so you know. And um, when Elding when the Eldingville pilot uh, for the Adult Swim, we were, were doing we were starting to do stuff for Batman Beyond, but we got the chance to do the Eldingville pilot, so we only ended up doing one episode to move on to that. And the Adult Swim really gave us. I mean, with Space Ghost, this is the thing that I like. We work on things that aren't important. They don't matter in the long run, you know what I mean? We don't work on Star Wars, we don't work on Spider-Man or Batman. But we ended up working on a bunch of things where people really let us, they really trusted the writers and the designers and everyone. Like Space Ghost was like that, Yo Gabba Gabba was like that, Bill and Ted was like that at Marvel. And on this, we uh, we, 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 we were producing the show and they let us do everything. So for good or for bad, if you don't like the pilot, it's, you know, largely up to you know uh, me in a lot of ways but we hired the acrobats to do the uh, music for the uh, opening and closing credits we just wanted to get people that you know my friend Stephen DiStefano who's an animation professional in comics he did the storyboards um, I got a, a DJ from WFMU who I like I thought would be good for the uh, for one of the voices um, you know you, I never understood why people don't hire people that they're supposedly fans of, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. And a, lot of do. a lot of people do, but it's amazing how many times you'll have somebody, you know, go, hey, you know, I'm working on this show, and uh, we love your stuff, and we'd love to talk to you about doing something, and, you know, cricket noises, you know, and that happens a lot. <laughs> and part of it is because people are being nice or awkward, and they, they say some nice things, but it's amazing when somebody actually calls you up and says, hey, uh, we'd like you to do something for us. And that's what... That's what happened on Yo Gabba Gabba. Christian called um, me and Sarah up, and it was a small part of the show. We we were just doing. Um, he he was like one of the things that they were doing on on Christian and his partner were doing on Yo Gabba Gabba was calling in all the people who had been good to them. Uh, uh, Mark Mothersbaugh from Devo. They hired him because they had a running joke that whoever got a show first, Aquabats or Devo, they'd hire. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. A lot of people on that show that are friends and family and, and, and bands that they like and designers and artists and writers that they liked. And that was, a, that was you know, you look at those cartoons and there was not a huge budget on that stuff. There was so much creativity on that show. It was such a happy experience. My only unhappiness is that we were never able to go to L.A. and actually, like, you know, visit and our daughter was invited to do a dancey dance, and she was the right age. She was like three, oh. and we just we could not afford three trips. You know what I mean? The yeah. trip to LA to just do dancey dance. I wish that we could, but so we got hired to do Super Martian Robot Girls costume design, nice. and design the comic book covers for the comic. If you remember, the the uh, the, the Yo Gabba Gabba cast would be reading a Super Martian Robot Girl comic, and then they'd start the, the Super Martian Robot. Uh, girl segment originally was super martian ghost robot girl it's insane (laughs) and uh uh what happened was so we designed this costume and i made the cover and i based the back cover the cover was based on uh some stuff from uh the electric company comic that marvel did and the uh 
you can't see it because I have DJ Lance Rock reading it like um, Easy Reader, and he says, you know, this is. I'm just. I'm sorry. I'm trying to remember here off the top of my bat. You know, all the pop culture stuff I grew up on goes back into the work too. Everybody right. is everybody, and. Um, what happened was they were live action sequences with, with Super Martian Robot Girl. They made the costume based on the design Sarah and I did. And we worked together and, you know, we, we had a lot of back and forth on that costume because we really, it was just, you know, you get to design a superhero kid, girl for a TV show. It doesn't seem like a big deal, but we wanted it to be really cool, you know? And, um... What happened was the Nickelodeon did not like the live action sequences. They had shot most of them for these short uh, things. And they were done like the Spider-Man segments from Electric Company, if you've ever seen those. Yes. And they didn't like the way that they came out. So they had to fill these empty slots in the running time and fix Super Martian Robot Girl on a very tight schedule. So what happened was... They called us up. Christian called us up and said, would you guys want to do Flash animation? Would you design these as Flash animation? And it was um, – we were adapting the live action for the first uh, five or so. Wow. Basically, there was somebody in a crazy costume, you know, as a, as a, as a giant shrimp that was stealing from kids and people <laughs> and all the actors. So we, made, we, we, had, we, we sat there and started drawing up – cartoon characters for them to animate and they um i think we storyboarded the first one but the animators i wish i could remember their names off offhand and i apologize we didn't animate them but we basically art directed the first couple and then after that we would design all the characters and, and the anim the the animation director uh would board them and use our arc so i ha i did have an animation background uh for, that's what i studied in college where I actually was in a class with Alex Winter, by the way, mm -hmm. uh, a screenwriting class with Alex. I think we had two words together, and one was huh, and one was thanks, because I opened the door for him and held it for him. It's very nice of you. Very nice yeah, of you. Well, yeah, but yeah, we were in one class together, and I don't think I would have remembered him if he wasn't, if I didn't have to draw him as character. <laughs> now, of course, you know, it's like, and I don't think he, he, I think he knows who I am now, but he didn't at all. You know what I mean? And, um, um, only because people will uh, put him in Twitter conversations about Bill and Ted that I'm in, and I'm super embarrassed when people do that. And I'm just like, <laughs> I gotta go now. I'm like, I'm not trying to shove myself into your, you know, I didn't make these movies. But um, so basically, long story short, we ended up making, all, we ended up art directing and designing um, all the Super Martian Robot Girl cartoons, which uh, which was an insane job because we were drawing full size bodies, and then we'd be drawing face movements all the vowel movements, arms, you know what I mean? We were doing the limited animation art, but we were doing all that art, and we had to do it fast. And Sarah was art, uh, color coordinating everything, and it was really, really cool. And after that, they asked us if we wanted to do a story time script, and we did. And then they asked us if we wanted to do a story time cartoon on our own with, with an animation company. So we did. And the next thing we know, we're writing episodes of the show. That's great. <laughs> we're writing with Christian, and Sarah co-wrote one with him on, on her own. Uh, but my name got stuck on the credits, so, you know. Uh, and then, yeah, we ended up doing uh, another Super Martian Robot Girl all by ourselves. And it was just, yeah, that was just, that's that was the best. In a lot, that was the best. That was the most exciting thing I think we've been, in, that I feel like we've been involved with uh, TV-wise. It was just great. That is, uh, and it, had, it had that element of Space Ghost and other things where, Eltingville, where basically... I remember Christian, I asked Christian something and he just says, because I trust you guys. That's That was the way things were done. They expected, they hired you for a reason. They wanted people to have fun. They wanted people to have their, you know, input. And he, I was just like, should we do that? And he goes, you know, you do what you want. I trust you guys. Uh, and that's why there's so many varieties of approaches in that show. And, 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 and the kinds of, and people and backgrounds and everything. I love that show. Yeah. You know how kids it. go... Kids go through phases with different TV shows, and they won't stop sure. watching a thing. Uh, sure. The phase where my daughter went through the Yo Gabba Gabba phase was one of the most relaxing in my life because <laughs> what I was, what what had to be on the television at that point was not. I mean, it was actual quality. It wasn't just trash. Uh, For a kids show, because also kids like repetition. Yes. Which, which some shows play towards, you know. Uh, I mean, Teletubbies had us, you know, would literally repeat certain sections on purpose yeah yeah but 
um, the two reactions that we got from Yo Gabba Gabba, basically, and you know, we were a small part of it, but we, you know, we we were responsible for a little bit of it, uh, was some parents clearly, if they weren't into the music, uh, hated it. Just they they just it was a noise and color onslaught. You know, these are often the well. Actually, everybody thought everybody on the show was on drugs. The same thing with Space Ghost. For some reason, they just, and I'm like, man, Yo Gabba Gabba is probably the one of the cleanest shows on the planet. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. It's just it's imagination. You know, I'm sure. You know, I can't speak for everybody, but uh, no, the creators, the the people behind Yo Gabba Gabba was certainly not on drugs. But sure. it's amazing how many people. I think a lot of people who made that argument either really annoyed by it or were on drugs. Uh, yeah. While watching, and those are the teenagers and adults who were surprised <laughs> to see like Cornelius doing thrash music on a kids' show, and that's the other reaction we got from it. People who were like, uh, couldn't believe, you know, that they were watching Devo and and all these bands, and that you know, uh, one of the guys from Operation Ivy is doing the voice of a cactus, and uh, the, the lead singer for Rocket from the Crypt, and. Uh, and the Night Marchers is uh, introducing bands as the Swami, his record label. It was a really, and I just I loved it because I'm an animation fan and I love uh, and, and pop culture fan and and you know it was like uh, this is what to me to me people who always like are nostalgic about um, H.R. Puff and stuff and things like that. I, I, it, they're impossible to watch. They're not very good. <laughs> I like looking at a lot of the stuff on the set, but they're treacly. Yes. Yo Gabba Gabba was pretty knowing and pretty hip, and yeah, I can get why it might drive some parents crazy or people, but um, it was a show you could watch with your kids, especially if you did like the bands and especially if you were into uh, certain aspects of pop culture. Every show had different stuff going on in it. There, I mean, there, there Bismarcky, was... man. Biz, you yes. get Bismarcky, right. then you get you know a band that you really like, and then you get some amazing dancing and cartoons and monster suits and uh, you know ska songs i'm there all uh, in man all in yeah yeah <laughs> now i'm depressed i miss it man we were so lucky to get that interview i'm just yeah. i'm still like geeked out over that i, I love it so much it was, it was really fun to re-listen to because that's what we just did. Uh, yep, absolutely. We just re-listened to the whole thing. We did. It was just, I loved it. Good work <laughs> on that one, Kelly. Good work on that. So a few things I, I, from from my emails back and forth with, with uh, Mr. Dorkin. As I said earlier, this comic is canon. Uh, it's being overseen by Ed Solomon. It was an idea that Evan came up with. It's four issues. Starts coming out in September. So none of the old comic book stuff is canon anymore. And not that it ever necessarily was, but it's officially not canon now. And the one thing that I, I noticed uh, when they announced it was there's a new cover. And on the cover, the first cover, there's two. There's uh, an alternate cover done by Roger Langridge. But the official one for issue one shows all the characters. You've got Bill, Ted, you've got the princesses, you've got the good robot usses, you've got Station, and you've got Death. But the thing is with Death, he actually looks more like William Sadler's death than the death in his original comics, which we just heard about when they brought him on board for this. Uh, they were like, okay, yeah, death needs to look like death in our movies. Now we can't look like the yeah. uh, Bergman death anymore. So really cool, you know, um, or I guess just the grim reaper. So that, w that was really interesting. Uh, he said, he's going to try and sneak in some Easter eggs to his old stuff with, uh, Kronos and the fates, things like that. And I don't know, he, he also said that this is going to you know, erase a lot of the original script of Bogus Journey, which makes sense because that stuff didn't make it in the movie with Denomalos going to hell with the evil robots, things like yeah. that. So yeah. none of that's going to be canon anymore. But it's just so cool. I'm so excited for this thing. I understand that it's coming out in September, but I, I, I wish it was coming out in July so we could like read these four issues to get amped up just to get to where the, the movie is, is going to be when it comes out on the 15th. <laughs> yeah. I just, I, I love that we're going to have something else to look forward to after we see face the music. I, uh, I know I my know. life won't have to end. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Was that too dark? Too dark? No, no, not too dark at all. Not too dark at all. <laughs> yeah. It, it's going to be fantastic. Oh, one other thing that was announced was a Bill and Ted movie book. Uh, this thing is coming out August 11th. It is, 
a book of pictures and essays from all three movies. So if you are really chomping for spoilers, you can pre-order that thing, have it delivered to your doorstep four days before the movie comes out and see a whole bunch of pictures and stories from the third movie. I, I polled people on Facebook and I was like, do you want us to look at this before the movie comes out and give some thoughts? And everybody's like, no, wait, wait. And you know, don't spoil yourself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which I appreciated. I, I was willing to take one for the team. Um, but I'm, I'm glad we don't have to. It's glad we don't have to. Yeah. I know your aversion to being spoiled. So yeah, uh, I, I can't ever talk, uh, newly released singles or, or, or newly released trailers with you, except for face the music. You know, eventually we're going to talk about the trailer for, uh, fast nine. So that's true. That, that's that's going to happen. That's going to happen. So, yeah. okay. Yeah. Okay. Fair yeah. enough. <laughs> yeah. I've seen that one. So, all right, man. Well, this was most excellent. Thanks again to Evan Dorkin for the interview and the responsiveness to emails. Just, just a minch. I really appreciate it. Kelly, be excellent to each other. JT, party on, dude. Something else I noticed, which is interesting, on, on Roger Langridge's uh, alternate cover of issue number one, Bill is playing a bass. Ooh, shit. You are, wait, you are right. That's four freaking strings. That's a bass. Yep. Yep. Huh. Well, at some point, death is not in the band, right? Probably. So. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Very interesting. All right. I don't know. Game on. We'll, we'll see. Game on. <laughs> <laughs>